Hello and welcome to episode two of the Show Me Mo School Facilities podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Peach, and I am excited to have a couple of guests from the same district here with me today. And they're going to teach me and you all about some interesting projects and how they do them in Springfield, Missouri. So today we've got Executive Director of Operations, Travis Shaw. Travis, thank you for joining and and, uh, and being here with us today. And we've yep, got thanks for having me. And we've got Director of Facilities, Mr. Sean Dilday. Sean, welcome. Thanks, Josh. Now I'm going to dig right into uh, what I want to learn about today. But first, I want to learn. I want to learn more about Springfield. So why don't we get first of all tell us a little bit about Springfield, uh, the school district, the community, how long you've been there. Maybe that's something you're most proud of, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the next. The next and exciting piece of the uh, of the talk. So I'm a Sean Dilda. I've been with Springfield School District for seven years. Springfield has roughly twenty four thousand five hundred students in house, and we have about four point three million square feet of roofs under under uh, uh, the district. Four point three million square feet. That's all. It's a whole lot of space. How many did you say? How many staff you had? In the in the facilities part of it, I have roughly sixty five staff members. Wow. Yeah, total staff in Springfield's around thirty seven, thirty eight hundred when you count teachers and support staff. Yeah. Teachers, administration, support staff. Okay. And Travis, a little bit about about you in the district. Yeah, so I'm in my sixth year in this position. Um, my background is, is is an educator. I was a teacher for seven years, a principal for eight, school superintendent for five, and then I uh, came into this role back in 2017. Uh, always loved the operational side of the house when I was a superintendent of smaller school districts, and so um, really was excited about this opportunity, and um, it's uh, hit the ground running. It's much different than any place I've ever been just due to the size and, and scope of what we deal with, but um, really enjoy this side of the, the educational world. Yeah. You know, something interesting that just struck me is, uh, is only in Missouri. Missouri seems to be the only state that I have met multiple directors or executive directors of facilities that were superintendents at one point in time. Is is that something that's common in the state? Is there a reason behind it? Is it, you, you know, you, you know, so superintendent's all encompassing, right? You're the, as, yeah. I, as I refer to it, the CEO of the district um, and the facilities is it's, it's focused on everything, but, you know, making sure those buildings are up and running the best they possibly can is for, front and foremost. But is that a, is there a program that helps get superintendents into the facility? I think it's great, but. It seems to be the only place I know of. Yeah, no, not necessarily a program. Um, whenever, whenever you are a superintendent of a smaller school district, you wear many hats. And so you get on-the-job training over the operational side of the house. In my previous two districts as superintendent, I was, you know, my, I was responsible for nutrition services, for bus drivers, for custodial facilities, grounds. Uh, any capital projects that we would do. And so I learned that piece of the work along with all of the budgets and the finance and the PR and board relations and community relations. And so um, when I took this job, it was primarily 
the nutrition services, the school bus, the facilities, grounds, custodial. Uh, and then we've since passed a bond issue uh, three years ago for 168 million. And so that fell under that same uh, umbrella of work. And so uh, that became part of what I do as well. So it's a natural fit. A lot of superintendents in smaller districts aren't making, um, you know, a lot of money and they have an opportunity to go into an assistant superintendent or executive director role uh, that gives them a higher salary increase. And, and they have the knowledge and the background to be able to do all of those many things. So what was the size of the district student enrollment where you were superintendent? Yeah. So Crane was 675 for the entire district. Wow. And Aurora was just shy of 2000. Um, so, you know, Aurora was a 12th of what Springfield is. So a lot different. Yeah. Where we had maybe four or five buildings. Springfield has 60. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 been just this year that I've had a, a couple of conversations, and I and I and it didn't dawn on me until just you saying that uh, that I was like, wow, this is kind of unique and interesting. Um, and I didn't know if there was a, a a movement there or there was an excitement or you guys go, you know, Charlie Charlie and the gang from MSPMA invades the <laughs> Missouri Superintendents Association and says, "Hey, check out how awesome it is to be a facility director." But there's there's a good number of you, so that's that's cool. And uh, and you said sixty buildings, roughly, yeah. What's the what's the uh, what's the age variance? Like, what's your oldest and what's your newest? <laughs> um, how old is Central Sean is it late late eighteen hundreds? That one was built in ninety four. Yeah, I want. I was going to say in the eighteen nineties. That's the original part of Central High School, uh, and the newest is, I mean, under construction. Less, less than a year, yeah, under construction. So, and a lot in between. Yeah. Well, you you know one of the things that that I talk about with with people with with regards to school facilities, if you have you know, even just a handful of buildings, you're always dealing with three types of projects, right? Projects you just completed, projects that you're working on, then projects that you have, you know, down the road a little ways that you're that you're planning, and it's a, it's a constant cycle. Yeah. Um, and so that's you you've got quite the uh, qu- quite the variance, 1894 to today. <laughs> um, that's pretty wild. So the reason I invited you guys was I was talking to Charlie and one of the big things that I asked Charlie Branham about doing this podcast, being in Massachusetts and not knowing things like why do superintendents go to facility directors is give me some topics that are, are noteworthy. Give me some ideas of, of putting episodes together. And he said, well, you got to talk about this CMAR um, program and, and Springfield and Travis and Sean are probably the best to talk about it, which is construction. And if I get this wrong, please understand my complete ignorance. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I don't know if it's a national, I've just never heard it. I've just never heard the, 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 uh, uh, what, what it is. So construction manager at risk. Um, and it, uh, and you guys sent me a presentation here and I looked at the first two or three slides and I said, well, I'd just like for you guys to share what it is, how it works, and then we can get into you know historically how people did this did this project, uh, this type of project. So dig right in. So I guess to start out with um, CMR or CMAR stands for Construction Management at Risk. 
And it's really, it's a construction delivery method. And prior to 2016, um, school districts were able to build buildings, actually public entities were able to build buildings utilizing the traditional design bid build where you hire an architect, they work with your team, they design, they put it out to bid and then school districts select the lowest responsible bidder according to Missouri statute. And then you build, you know, the school. And what, how CMR differs is you, you are essentially hiring the contractor um, after you've hired the architect prior to starting any design work. And so the construction manager is there walking hand in hand with the owner, walk with the architect, and they're they're offering guidance and feedback and cost estimating throughout the entire design process prior to getting to the construction document phase so that um, a building isn't being over-designed. A building is uh, is the building you want. And so on bid day, when that construction manager puts the project out to bid, instead of receiving a single bid from each general contractor, we've had as many as 104 envelopes to literally open up on bid day because they come from every single subcontractor for each of the disciplines. And so you're still getting and selecting the lowest responsible bidders, but you might be selecting 20 of those because you've got 20 different disciplines, plumbing, HVAC, electrical, concrete, you know, windows, you know, all the different things that you have within construction. Mm -hmm. And so um, it took legislation in Missouri uh, to essentially pass a law that allowed public entities to be able to build buildings using the CMR delivery method, because prior to that, uh, public entities weren't allowed to do it. Um, but it's a method that, and when you ask about it, is it a nationwide thing, I, I really can't speak outside of Missouri. But what I learned from architects throughout Missouri, and in, especially in our area, is that they've been doing, you know, CMR delivery method on all kinds of private projects for years. So it's not new to the industry, at least in Missouri, but it's only been available by law to be able to be utilized within Missouri. And how widely, you know, you said it was uh, 2016, so we're in year six. Mm -hmm. How how quickly did people adopt this? And is it something that everyone's excited about? I'm excited. I mean, just now hearing what it is I, from face value, I'm like, well, that makes abundant sense. Why didn't we do it this way since the beginning of time. Right. And, and then, uh, and then lowest responsible bid I want to touch on. Cause I want to, I want to talk about that too. Yeah. So it took a while. Um, you know, Springfield didn't use it. Um, we passed the bond in 2019. The first three projects that we did of that bond issue were the traditional design bid build, but we had a very, um, I, I don't know, I guess the best word to call it is a very messy a lengthy renovation of one of our high schools that was going to involve multiple phases. Kids and staff were not leaving the building. They were going to be in the middle of construction the whole time. And so 
um, we needed that assistance from the contractor side right up front. Mm-hmm. We couldn't wait until, okay, we bid this out. And then what does this look like? Because um, one of the beauties of CMR is it allows you to do early bid packages if you want. So if you need to get out and do a demo package early, you do it early. If you need, if you've got supply and demand issues, which we have every day now on certain materials, you can do a steel bid package early. Uh, you can do a concrete bid package early. It just depends on what fits best for the project to where those things can get out in front of the delay if they need to. Um, this particular project, we learned that there was a 36 inch main water line then ran right through the area in which we were going to be constructing a new addition. And we couldn't obviously do that because we weren't going to be able to get permits for the building to be put on top of a 36 inch water main that fed the entire North side of Springfield. It's water. So we did a completely separate bid package just for that alone to relocate that water line. Uh, Again, it's one of the advantages of when you have the contractor on board from the very beginning um, that allows you to do that. And so um, it is an extensive process. There's, there are specific things you must follow in the statute in order to select your, your, your CM. Um, it's not like just, you know, hard, a hard bid or design bid build. It is about, you know, who's the lowest responsible bid and you move on. Mm-hmm. You know, this has to, there's a qualification piece to this that, um, you have to go through and there's hoops to jump through in order to be able to select your CM. Mm-hmm. I was, you, you've answered a couple of my questions without me asking them, which, which makes all the sense in the world, which is really cool, which is that <laughs> you can, you can accelerate parts of the bid package because of, you know, especially supply and demand. Cause when you, you reference steel, I mean, steel was, it's getting a little bit better, but it, it, it was, it was a long wait. I mean, people were, yeah paying rent to put steel in yards for whenever they right. could get it, um, which was, which was painful to hear about and listen. And and also the, the, the price changes, the fluctuation right. that happens so quickly. It's, you know, you, you have this, you start the planning today and six months from now, I mean, look at the beginning of COVID, you know, if you want to build a house with two by fours, good luck, right? Yeah. You'd be better off building it with some form of steel. Um, <clears throat> you've referenced, and the uh, lowest responsible bidder. And when it comes to public sector, I got to tell you, I've been in this business for 25 years. I've never heard lowest responsible bidder. I've heard low bid. I've heard lowest <laughs> bid, but I've never had that middle word, lowest responsible bidder. And then the qualifications, because that's what I was, my head was wrapped around the idea of, okay, I'm a, I'm a GC and I come in and I provide you with the lowest bid and then I've got it right automatically. There's, those qualifications that they have to, you said they have uh, specific uh, qualifications that they have to fulfill to be considered for that, that role. So you're, you're kind of, let, let me address the lowest responsible bid piece first, because that's really around design bid build. And then the qualification piece is really around CMR. Um, so that's Missouri language, lowest yeah. responsible bid. And for the most part, it is, the lowest bid. Um, If you as a school district have justification to not select the lowest bid because you can essentially provide um, documentation that says they are not the lowest responsible bidder compared to the next lowest 
bid, then you don't have to select them. Mm-hmm. And obviously you better have all your ducks in a row and you better have the documentation needed for that. Because um, if I'm, you know, general contractor A and I'm $300,000 less than general contractor B and you don't select me, one general contractor A is not going to be happy about that. And um, they're going to want to know why, but you also have the public that's also going to be looking at that and saying, you selected a contractor that is $300,000 more and that's our taxpayer dollars. So mm-hmm. uh, it does not happen often. I will tell mm-hmm. you that um, it, it has happened. It's happened um, since I've been here uh, on some specific situations um, there. Um, we have contractors that we have, um, that, and we do an evaluation on all of our contractors on every project, big or small, to, mm-hmm. so that we can document all of those things in the event that that situation comes up. So, um, but I would say 98, 99% of the time, it's the low, it's a low contractor who gets the bid. So I was referencing that as a vendor. Uh, I've been, that's where I've been on my end of the, of the world for my career. And mm-hmm. just putting that word psychologically for me, it, it, it's night and day. And I think the rest of the country should adopt that because um, for me, anytime I go up in an RFP and, you know, it says we'll be awarded to lowest bidder, uh, that word responsible for me says, okay, I should respond to, I should respond to this because I'm a responsible bid respondent. And they're going to look at me not necessarily just as the lowest bid, but as the most responsible bid. And I just think that's just kind of cool. Like I said, it was like, that's like a, a light bulb goes off. And I go, well, why doesn't, why don't we just use the proper words so that people don't have a rate? I mean, cause vendor vendors are the worst. I mean, and I'm, I'm one and that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you look at any school, school district USA, and you look at how many different controls packages they have in their school buildings. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's because the company goes in with the idea of, all right, we're going to win the bid. This is this is the psychology of companies that have been around for 100 years because these are big companies, some of them Fortune 100 companies. They go, all right, let's go in there. Let's get the let's get the low bid on the high school. And then we're going to we're going to have them. We're going to have them locked in. And then we're, we're going to get the middle school. We're going to get the elementary school. We're going to be able to charge mm-hmm. whatever we want. And then what do you have? You have districts that have six and seven and eight mm-hmm. different controls packages in different school buildings. Um, and some of which that you can't even control. And it's, it's all because of the low bid, you know, programming and these companies that, like I say, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a race to zero and it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So I think that that's a, I think that that's great. Just in the word, just in the word usage. I mean, I'm on episode two and I'm already in love with a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing. <laughs> I think, I hope the other 49 States decide to listen to this podcast too. So um, let's see here. Sean, you got anything you want to add into this? I th- I thought I cut you off there for a second. I want to make sure I didn't. No, I'm I'm good, Josh. Um, um, obviously, for Springfield, this works very well, and, and it worked great for everybody across the Missouri. Um, through the process that we've gone through on, on a few of these projects, we've had a lot of success. Um, you know, you don't have an architect that's designing a building, and then we put it out to bid, and we find out where. Two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget. We have to go back and value engineer with this method. So it's a much cleaner, smoother method for yeah. building buildings. Yeah. No, it's um. You know, I, I always I have another podcast. Be awesome at facility management. And my co-host 
Paul Anastasi worked at a district that built the most expensive at the time, most expensive high school in uh, in the state of Massachusetts, 153 million bucks, 440,000 square feet. And uh, they had one slop sink for their custodians to use. And it wasn't even in the custodial space. It was in the, it was, it was in the theater room. Um, and so when you look and you go, well, who designed this? And it's like, not facility people, you know, and they didn't have the facility folks at the table. And if you had a GC at the table, they definitely would have thought about, you know, what is it going to take to maintain this space? And let's make sure we have, pro- I mean, just simple, simple, stupid stuff, proper mm-hmm. outlets, you know, pr- proper outlets where, where they need to be, the, the, the sinks and plumbing where it needs to be. That's, that's accurate, accessible uh, shutoff valves, you know, some of these new construction projects, it's like, well, where are they? You know, and you can't get to them. So it's, it's, that's very interesting. And the, the, um, the, the historic way, um, doesn't seem like, you know, do you think you, this is probably going to be, at least for your careers, I would, I would assume this is going to be the way that you're going to do projects moving forward. Is that, or is it kind of a case by case basis? Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still a case by case basis. Um, and part of that is because, you know, for example, we're, we're potentially going to be having another bond issue in 2023. This one could be, uh, $220 million. And so we're hoping that our board gives us the green light on some, um, some additional funding that we haven't used from this bond issue to begin design work mm-hmm. so that we can um, have projects shovel ready not long after the bond would pass. So in that situation, to go through the entire CMR selection process, it takes six to eight weeks based on the requirements that the statute says you have to go through. So we don't want to do a CMR project and start design work unless the CM is on board when we start design. And so that's a situation where you have a timeline of it's going to push things back two months potentially before you can start. And when you don't want to do that, or you maybe you, you don't have the time to do that. That could be one reason. The other piece too of this is we have some, we have a lot of very talented construction companies in the Springfield, Southwest Missouri area. Some of them, 90% of their work, it's all CMR. That's all they do. Mm-hmm. Others are primarily GCs that have gotten into the CMR work because if they don't get into the CMR work, then they're, they're not having that opportunity to do some of those projects. And so um, those that their work is primarily 90% CMR, they're the experts. They're the ones that are going to be the most qualified to do that because that's, that's essentially all they do. Mm -hmm. And so those are going, those companies will have that advantage during that Mm -hmm. selection process. And so we like to be able to give a lot of opportunity for a lot of local regional companies mm-hmm. to do work. And so by doing a mixture of both, mm-hmm. um, that gives that opportunity for yeah. those to say, and there's argument that you're going to get better pricing when everybody's throwing down the gauntlet on bid day and here's my best price, mm-hmm. you know, rather than, um, there's some argument that if you're using CMR, they know what the budget is right up front. Mm-hmm. And so they're working with that architect to design a building that fits that budget. 
-hmm. Whereas in, in a design bid build project, you may not necessarily, the contractors may not necessarily know what that budget is and the architects do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it really comes down to how much money are they wanting to put in their pocket on the overhead and profit. And so there is argument that you get better bids if you go that hard bid approach. So we will probably still do some of both. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think there's advantages to to both situations. So let me ask you, because we're, my community, we're doing a, a massive elementary school. And the two things that the school committee talks about uh, every month, and it's I know I know it's not a CMR um, program. Um, you know, the two things that they talk about is time and budget. Is it is it ahead of schedule, behind schedule? Is it on budget, under budget, or over budget? Right. Is with a CMIR, CM, CMMR um, project, it, are there change orders? Is it possible to go over budget? Is because you said kind of that hard number. Is it is is it just as easy to have? I mean, look, we we live in a world where everything's changing very quickly. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hard to have that crystal ball. But how how accurate or how how close are they in, in, on on both sides of the scale? Yeah, it's. The change order piece is handled a little differently with both delivery methods. With CMR, what our board approves is the GMP. It's a guaranteed maximum price. Okay. And in that GMP, there is a certain percentage that is designated as contingency. Mm-hmm. And so when there are change orders, which there will be in a CMR project, it's essentially a, a log is kept of that change order. And it's, it's all documented. You see every bit of that. And so if that appropriation is budgeted correctly, then you shouldn't go over budget. Um, we've actually uh, on one of them, one of the CMR projects that we completed, um, all, all of those dollars were not used. And so that came directly back to the district. It was a deductive change order that, because that's dollars for the district. Um, so the difference is if you're doing a design bid build, then you know that there is, there is that allotment built into that budget, but as this district, you don't see that. Mm -hmm. So if it's a hard bid, you don't see what cushion that contractor has built in. Mm -hmm. And if we don't use that cushion, we don't get that back as a district, the contractor keeps it. And so there's more transparency with that overall dollar amount, Mm -hmm. um, But yes, there's always going to be change orders. It's just a matter of how they are approached. If we're doing a a hard bid, then we set up a contingency budget outside of what that bid is. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes part of our overall budget. Um, But, you know, the biggest factor, I think, in reducing the number of change orders, you know, it's, it's all through the design. It's about having good architects that listen to the owners that communicate with all of the different disciplines within the school district, having meetings with our MEP people around the systems that are being designed, having meetings with our IT people, IT people around all the low voltage that needs to go in there um, and just doing multiple steps of redlining plans before they go out on the street. And so if you can do that, then you can minimize your number of change orders, but there's always going to be something that someone misses. I mean, we're all imperfect people. So, and then there's going to be things that the owner says, Hey, we forgot about this. We want this. So 
Um, but the checks and balances look a little different. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be change orders. It's just a matter of how they're handled with these different um, delivery methods. A deductive change order. I love it. I love it. I just you, you don't you just don't hear that. That's uh, and it was a few hundred thousand dollars. Anything anything in your pocket, not in somebody yeah. else's, is your money in your pocket. So I think right. it's great. Right, um, and we we're finishing up another project probably in January that we anticipate the same thing happening. So different different CM, but yeah. um, we're just not going to use all those dollars that were allotted, and so that will come back to the district. This is- in your career, uh, this is going a little bit off topic, but I just think it's kind of relevant with this discussion because um, you have to spend yourselves. I mean, one, you have to trust these, you have to trust people, right, that are coming to you and educating you first and foremost. But if you go to your 1894 building and you go to a project that you just completed in a year and you walk around the two spaces, they're radically different, right? They're f- four walls and a roof and windows and a door or doors but all of the pieces in play. So uh, I met Sean originally about 20 years ago when if you wanted internet, you know, you had to plug it into a phone phone line. You didn't even have CAD5. So if mm-hmm. you got a 20-year high school, if it hasn't been, you know, rewired and everything, it, it's not up to up to date technologically, which there's a lot of schools in the country, believe it or not, that, that aren't, right? Right. Um, that's got to be a lot of work. Just that, that's a day job in itself just to keep up with standards, to keep that technology aspect, even though it doesn't fall directly on you, the design and the, you know, I tell people all the time, the importance of a synergy between the IT department and the facility department, because, you know, interactive whiteboards, um, the, the placement and the drops of, of where the, the modems and routers and all the smart stuff goes, a lot of that falls on you guys, right? Um, so that's, that's, that's a lot of work in itself just to, to, to keep up with the change of design and that, that trust factor, um, especially at the rate that technology is moving today. Uh, I was just in my mother's school and wearing, wearing her, her school shirt with pride. That was a gift for me for speaking to their faculty and staff. And I, I was amazed, you know, at, uh, they just did a full renovation and retrofit all of the the you know the roofs and the walls and the paint and all this other stuff but they all did the technology too you know 85 inch you know touch screens and all that um and i was i was just i was beside i couldn't believe what i was seeing and i said wow this is a lot of work for 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 project planning how how much of that you, you must you have your i guess my question is you have your technology team at the table too, working through all of this stuff with you, right? So this is really a, a all hands on deck. Sean, you want to speak to that? Because I know Sean works really close with our IT director, more so than what I do, uh, really on a weekly basis on things. So, yeah. So, Josh, you remember, uh, what was it, 15, 18 years ago, I was in North Carolina and did a presentation for school dudes. And um, we talked about the importance of IT and, and facilities teams working together. And over the years of my career, you know, that, that really has meshed even tighter. Um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't see the IT directors. And in our passing, it's, hey, I've got flat board panels going in elementary school this, this year. What are you going to have to do to, to get ready for that? Or I'm, I'm going in, hey, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to do some more to get it prepared for you. So it's a hand-in-hand today versus 10, 15 years ago. E 
each department was on their own little island. You know, I've got to be able to support them. They've got to be able to support me. And without each other, we can't support the school district. So I encourage, you know, I have those conversations a lot with IT and, and facility directors. Encourage those two departments to be team players and work together. It's so important. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Now that answered a question, an age-old question of almost 20 years, because Ken Wirtz and, Paul, and uh, Leo Brem at Sharon Public Schools went around all over the place, and they talked about they were the facility director and the IT director, and I knew they couldn't have come up with that idea themselves for a presentation, so it was you they sat in the audience with, and then they went and did their own show on it and uh, <laughs> and talked about that, so uh I'm going to, I'm going to call him out on that later. I talked to Kenny just about every single day. So, um, well, this is, this is some cool stuff. Now, um, you said you, you have a project you're working on. Do you have a project you're working on right now? That's CMR. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually got two. Okay. Yeah, we've got a, a $36 million high school renovation. And then we've got a 20, about a 24. $24 million elementary new construction. Wow. This isn't the 1894 high school. No, it's not. It was 1950s for the most part. And how many, um, how many high schools do you have? Five. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a full season of football competing against each other. It is. Yeah, it truly is. So. Wow. It ranges from, I think our smallest high school is right around 1,100 students, and our largest is about 2,000. How, how, how big is Springfield land-wise? Land-wise? Yeah, well, I don't know. What's, what's the distance, the furthest distance between two, two buildings? Well, I mean, we have, I mean, if you were to take our furthest north school and our furthest south school, it would take you every bit of 25 to 30 minutes to get to it. I'm not sure what that distance is, but, but yeah, we have five different, um, five different stadiums Four four of which we own one. We um, utilize Drury university's stadium for central high school, but. Wow. I am, I am pulling up the wikipedia to tell me what the uh what the square mileage is 171,000 residents the district map is right behind me josh if you can see that it's kind of shining shining the light on me as have yeah that's what I, was, I was trying to see it um, getting bright so yeah that's a good that's 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 a good size. Four stadiums. What's your biggest stadium uh, for for a number of uh, seats? Do you guys? Is Missouri's a big football high school football state, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't, Sean. I don't. Do you know the answer to that? I don't know how, what our largest capacity is. You don't have. I, wanna, I mean, I'm sure it's Parkview, JFK, but I it, or JFK would be our largest. Oh, I don't. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure how many. What the capacity is over there? You're not one of the. It's not like a high. It's not like a high school stadium that uh, has got like luxury boxes with no. corporates. Yeah, no. yeah. We're not. We're not in Texas. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just. That's you know, a lot of these. The Texas, Alabama, you know, Florida, New Mexico, even uh, Albuquerque's got a stadium that that they could have space to put luxury boxes in. Yeah. Right? yeah. And you you come up you come up to my you come up to my neck of the woods. Our stadium holds up 
like 200. Um, we got a great football program, but uh, we just don't have the, we just don't have the stadiums you guys have and, and the intensity that you have to play with them, but you got a ton of students. So, so Josh, from our Northern uh, elementary building, which is pleasant view to Syracuse middle school, which is on the South side of town, it's 22 miles. Wow. And that's through town. Okay. So that's some distance. And are you guys are you guys a growing community? Have you, I mean, are you are you taking in these construction projects of these new construction projects? Is it student growth or is it taking old buildings offline and putting new buildings in their place or both? It, primarily, right now, it's been taking old buildings off. The new growth in Springfield has primarily been in the south part of Springfield, which was where you would see the newer buildings because as the, as the growth was there, they had to build new buildings. Um, but this bond issue primarily focused on the north side of Springfield where the average age of the schools on that bond issue was 86 years old. That was the average age. So these are schools that have served their purpose and they have exceeded their life expectancy and it's time to get them into this century yeah well in the in the in 86 years um yeah it's 1940s 1950s something like that mm -hmm. you know the, the, the a lot of them had fallout shelter signs or still do um and they uh you know the the i think that the idea when they were built back then was they were built with stone and concrete and they would hold forever and they they don't hold forever mm -hmm. uh when you when you're constantly running for failure which is unfortunately the the age-old challenge with schools right always under understaffed under budget and challenged with trying to get things done and uh in turn many things have to run to failure i mean getting 86 years out of the school yeah is uh that's well there's multiple that's, multiple additions that have been done over the years yeah so the quality of construction during certain eras is is very apparent and different um, yeah with what you have things that were built in the twenties and thirties, they are very non-functional now mm -hmm. as far as what we need, but boy, were they built good. And then you look at the things that were built in the fifties and sixties and they just were not built near to the, what the quality as they are, as those were back then. Yeah. Well, up here anyway, in new England, cause we had a, we had a, a big boom of, of school building in, in the fifties and sixties. And they're all just blocks. They're all just brick blocks. There's not. There's yep. nothing to them. Um, you know, flat roofs, um, multiple. You know, multiple squares, rectangles. The one thing that I talk about in all my podcasts is the uh, importance of courtyards in schools and keeping them up. Fifties um, and sixties buildings, all of them have courtyards. Um, yeah. And and the you know and it, it's just it's interesting because when you say that I'm like yeah you're spot on. I mean, um, those those old <clears throat> old the old heavy strong buildings uh they they have purpose but not as a school anymore right uh, up here they're being converted to condos and other things and letting other people you know put them to uh, put them to work in other ways but um this has been really cool did i miss anything on this i was just going through your your uh your slide deck i, I think you, and i had five questions written down that all all got answered before i could ask them so um do other schools reach out to you? Or are you guys kind of the, 
were you the the trailblazers in the state to kind of in, adopt this and kind of do some projects is it is that something that people know you about know about you we've had some uh, particularly around just reference checking on cms um and i think that's one of the things that really is a point of emphasis is that um the the statute's very specific about the steps you have to go through and the process and one of the things that they're really specific about is when you select a cm you qualification has to be at least at least 40% mm-hmm. and their fee proposal cannot be more than 60%. And so there has to be a good amount of your decision made off of their qualification. Uh, And we chose in right, wrong or indifferent, but we chose to make the qualification 60% of our scoring Mm -hmm. and their fees 40%. Um, And that's really the, I think one of the largest advantages of going this route is that you get to pick the contractor up front. You know exactly who you're getting. Uh, you know what their fee structure looks like. Uh, and their fee structure is three simple things. It's, it's the pre-construction costs that they tell you up front. It's their the percentage of the um, GMP. Mm-hmm. And it's the um, their general conditions. And so you know right up front, it's all very transparent. Here's what they're charging you. And... Um, so if your project comes in at 30 million, then they're getting a certain percentage right off that. So, um, but they all submit qualifications through an RFQ process and then you shortlist that. And then you have to, you, you are mandated to interview at least two, uh, but no more than five. And then you interview them and then you you know, you select based on the criteria that you as a district select. And so um, it's a, like I said, it's a very extensive process. Um, There's always contractors that aren't happy because you didn't pick them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's really, you know, and the great thing is, is that you've already hired your architect. And so those architects are part of that selection team because they're going to be the ones working directly with these contractors. And so you've got to have buy-in from those architects and know that they're going to be great partners to work with because when you have architects and contractors that don't get along well with each other, then the owner is the one in the middle of that. And it, it, it makes for a very challenging project. Mm-hmm. That's like negotiating between my 15 year old and my four year old in the middle of that. I can't, I can't win. Yeah. Um, uh, two questions, one more on this and, and then, uh, and then one more from both of you as a personal type question. Um, the the and and when we've already decided, we've already said that this isn't always the way that you need to go um, and make make it that way. Um, when you do choose to go this 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 route with the CMR model, you said that you can get up to 104 proposals or bid responses, which you typically in the other other model you would get a handful. How much more time consuming is that? you know, reading those bids, going over them, qualifying and selecting, is that an enormous amount of time? Is it the same amount of evaluation just broken out into pieces? What what does that look like? You know, um, I would say it's similar. It's just, it's just different because yeah, you're right. If we do a, just a design bid, build, hard bid project, 
we're hoping to get five to six general contractors submit a bid. And so when you do CMR, um, like for the, when we did the Hillcrest high school renovation project that we're finishing up here in December, there was like 104 different subcontractor bids submitted. So that process, instead of taking 15 minutes to open five bids, it'll take two hours mm-hmm. to open up all those subcontractor bids. The evaluation piece probably takes about the same amount of time because on hard bids, then you, once the hard bid is submitted, you know, within, usually within a day, you are requiring their um, subcontractor list. Mm -hmm. And so they go over that with the owner and make sure that we're all good with who has submitted um, because there's going to be times when a sub submits and they've never used them. They don't know anything about them. And so you've got to be able to then qualify them to make sure that that's the right sub that we want to be using. So it's, I would say the time is not a lot different. It just, it just is different in the phase in which it's evaluated. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking too, is like, you know, when you're doing those, if you can do it in piecework, it's also the better, a better utilization of time. Right. So if you mm-hmm. do a couple of the preliminary pieces, the negotiating of the steel and the cement and some of this other stuff, demolition, um, right. opposed to just having it all come out at the same time. Um, this has been great. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I was, I, I looked at, I just looked and we've gone almost an hour and I feel like we haven't talked for two minutes. It's been uh, uh, very informative. Thank you. And and I don't think, I think I covered everything, right? I think we got just about the whole thing covered. I hope to have Excellent. you guys back. I'd love to have you back again down the road when this project's over with and talk more about it and get an update from you. Um, but before we go, I have a question for you. Uh, for both of you, because one of the things I had to come, this is, this is the pitfall of, of coming on a podcast with me as I throw a curveball at you, right? We've been talking about CMR projects and all this stuff. And I, I had a conversation today with the director of facilities and, and here's, here's the statistic. I've talked to probably six to 7,000 public school districts, uh, facility professionals around the country, and not a single one of them ever said that they've come to work for the money right? They don't come, you don't come to work for the money. You don't come to work for the notoriety because most of your work that you and your team do is behind a curtain. Um, so, you know, what's, what's, what are you most proud of in your career to date? What was your best day on the job? What is the project you're most proud of? What is the, the compliment, whatever, whatever it is, what, what, when, when, if I were to see in an elevator and say, what are you most proud of in your career? What would that answer be? Sean, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So, uh, um, Josh, I, I will tell you, as I've gotten older and more seasoned and, and doing this job, you're right, it's not about the money. It's about what I enjoy doing. It's about what the people that I work with, I enjoy being around. But most importantly, it's, it's about the teams and, and being able to assemble the team that work for you have success for the school district. We we are behind the scenes folks. You know, we we get our, our, our biggest thing is to get in and get the job done and get out of the way so that our teachers can do their jobs. And having the teams in place that um, is very well orchestrated to get in and get out and don't know that there was a flood the day before. They don't know that, that we have frozen pipes that broke overnight. We have teams that are working all night long to get it fixed. And that's that's not the glory of the glory of it is having the successful people and building those successful people 
do the jobs that they do today. That's 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 a good one. Just ran that one right off. Good stuff, man. How about you, Travis? You know, one of the things that, because uh, I've been, see, this is year 26, I think, for me. <clears throat> and, you know, I got into this business because of kids. And I'm still in the business because of kids. And one thing that I um, try to uh, represent and show others is that that's why I'm here. And I always challenge and I want to remind all of our facilities folks that, and Sean's heard me say this before, but remember your why. And none of us have a job if kids don't go to school. And so they are why we have jobs. And so I think that's the thing that I'm most proud of is just when I think back at it over the 26 years is, is the impact that I've had on kids. And whether that was me teaching middle school math or whether that was me uh, as a middle school principal or even as a superintendent. And now in this job where there's days that go by that I don't even see kids because of the role that I have. Um, But I know the work that we're doing matters and I know how much it's affecting kids. And when you see those kids go into a brand new school building on the first day of school, when they've been in a hundred year old dilapidated building that the basement floods and there's one set of student restrooms in the entire three-story building. They're on the lower level. Those are the things that make a huge difference. And so um, just making sure that the legacy you leave is a positive one and that we remember our why. And, and I truly feel like this team of people um, they're here for the right reasons. And so that's, those are the things that I'm, really the most proud of, whether it's me having the direct impact on kids or if it's indirectly through all of the folks that do the work daily. Um, it's, it's, it's a great, great career to have. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Uh, and right, right spot on with, um, some of the stuff that, that, that I talk about Paul Anastasia and I on our other podcast, you know, we, we mention it often, which is if you're having a bad day, go down to the, go down to the kindergarten class. Right, go sit yeah. with them. Go sit with those kids for ten or fifteen minutes because they're coming to you, you know, fresh out the gate with hope. Yep. And they, they 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 haven't they they don't have too much going on that's wrong with them yet. And it's right. up to you to, to provide them with. Um, that's that's their second home, right? We talk about you know wealthy people that got second and third homes. We've got underserved, and it's only getting unfortunately it's only getting worse with with our with our families and kids and communities across the United States that. That, that they don't have very good homes and they have struggles. And I've, I've got posts today about, you know, the cost of oil, you know, and how much it costs to fill a small tank. It, you know, it's $5 and uh, 59 cents a gallon for home heating oil right now. So people can be turning their temperatures way down this winter. Uh, I, my kids might, my kids might be walking around with, with winter coats on around the house too. Um, and so you guys are providing when you say you, that new school building, you know, yeah, that looks good. And it's great. It's a, it's great uh, curb appeal, but it's something else for these kids because it's mm-hmm. something special and it's, it's where they spend a third of their life for, for 12 years. So, so good for you guys for, for understanding your why. And I, the last thing I, that we tell people, especially in the facilities department is in your first year, if you don't go to your commence, the commencement of the graduation, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and to everyone around you because seeing those kids graduate, 
and understanding that those kids in the kindergarten class, when you're having a bad day, you have the opportunity to watch two and a half of those kindergartners walk across that stage and the impact you can make. And then the sheer number that is, it's amazing. Nothing, nothing greater. So um, thank you for your 26 years of service. And Sean, you're up there pretty close to 20. I didn't ask you what your total number of years, but that's you're probably pretty close to that, right? I'm about 24 right now. Well, thank you both. And it's, it, it's apparent that you are a, a well-oiled machine working together and uh, really appreciate you giving us this, this time today, we went way over and I apologize, but I, I don't feel bad at all. Cause there was, some good, <laughs> there was some good stuff in this. So um, we'll have you back again sometime soon and appreciate everybody for listening. Hope you got something good out of this. This was a great second episode, a lot to learn and digest about. Uh, Sean, you're on LinkedIn, Travis, you're, are you on LinkedIn and you, can people get a hold of you? You're, you're a man of mystery. So look for, <laughs> if you want to get a hold of Travis, connect with Sean on LinkedIn or send him an email at, uh, I'm sure he's got the standard, uh, school email addresses that you can find on any school website, yep. USA. And, uh, submit us with some, some of your questions, thoughts, ideas. Uh, my email is Josh at B-E-A-U-S-M, and uh, love to hear from you. I'd also love to get those five-star ratings and reviews on our podcast. That definitely helps give us that credibility factor. And if we're not a five-star, um, I'm going to blame Sean and Travis because they're uh, episode two. But um, no, in all seriousness, if, if we're not a five-star rating review, it falls on me. So please drop me a message before you drop anything less than a five-star rating and review. And be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a great day and we'll be talking to you next week.